0: Colossians 3.18-4.1 to is the passage of Scripture that we're going to read this morning, and I know you're going to find it helpful to have your own Bibles open and be reading along with me. You'll find that on page 984 in the Church Bible, Colossians 3.18-4.1, to and before we do look at God's Word, let's pray and ask Him to strengthen both the one that preaches and those that hear this morning as we come to uh, the preaching of His Word. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you give us another week, another Lord's Day, to sit as your people gathered before you and your Son and your Spirit to hear your Word, to be instructed. We know that there are many things in your Word that uh, we may not like to hear, and yet all of it is necessary. There are some things in your Word that are more directive and more pointed that we need to hear and sometimes don't want to, and so we pray that you would prepare our hearts this morning. We pray that You would give each one here a humble heart to receive Your Word. We pray that Your Word would be preached with power and with wisdom and with grace and that Christ would be heard and seen and that He would be put on. And Father, we pray that You would transform us by Your grace this morning. We need the working of Your Holy Spirit among us. We pray that He would come and would take the things of Christ and would apply them to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Colossians 3, beginning in verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters knowing that you also have a master in heaven well i knew a man now many years ago who confessed to me about the difficulties that he had had in marriage over the 20 some years that he had been married and this man was very fervent in talking to people about christ he was very fervent in getting together and discussing theology and talking about Christ. And it became apparent to me after a while that his wife was never with him. And it became all the more disturbing when he shared with me that he had traveled all the way to the UK to talk to different ministers about the marital problems he had with his wife and he had not taken his wife with him. And having gone to the UK to meet with these two ministers who were very well-known and very skillful pastors and theologians, he had come home with no resolve and had determined to live as he had been living in his marriage with this wife that he had had of so many years. And what had become striking to me is that while this man seemed so zealous to talk about Jesus, the people, whenever we went out in public, was very fervent, and who was very fervent to talk about theology and doctrine. He had not applied the gospel to his marriage. It was actually more this man's fault, though the wife obviously was not, was not free of all blame. It was more this man's fault. It came, I came to understand it was more his fault in not dealing with it by applying the gospel to his own marriage and seeing the gospel work out in his marriage. And that's important for us because Paul has given us those two chapters of glorious gospel truths in Colossians. He has told us all about the majesty of Jesus. He has told us that he is the one that created all things and that in him all things consist. And he has told us that he is the redeemer of all things and he has set forth Christ as creator, Christ as redeemer, Christ at the beginning of life, Christ for all of life, and Christ for eternity. He has talked about the glories of the gospel and how they have come to us who were dead in sins. And then Paul, we saw last week, turns and begins to apply, to apply the gospel to our lives in telling us to put off and to put on. He's told us we died with Christ, we've been raised with Christ, our life is hidden with Christ in heaven, and so put off that list of vices and put on those lists of virtues, those things that were true of Christ we are to put on. Now, Paul takes the application to a more specific level. He takes out the arrow and he shoots at a lot more specific relationships. I think if we left it as we left it last week, a lot of people would be happy if we just said generally all of us are to put on compassion and humility and meekness and kindness and tenderness and forgive each other and just left it there. Why does Paul have to go and be so pastoral? Why does he have to meddle, meddle in my marriage and my parenting and my workplace? But that's exactly where Paul goes. And you'll notice that as Paul comes now to apply the gospel further to the people of God, he does so by applying it to those everyday mundane, and even seemingly despised relationships that we, we are involved in. All of us are involved in, in some or, or all of these relationships. At some point in our life, all of us are involved in these relationships that Paul is going to apply the gospel to. And notice that he will first apply the gospel to the marital relationship. In verse 18, he will tell wives what their duty is, tell husbands what their duty is, and then he will secondly apply it parents and children. He'll tell the children what their responsibility is, what the parents' responsibility is, and then he will apply it to bosses and workers. Here, yes, in this context, it's, it's that household understanding of indentured servants being part of the house under the master's rule, but we can certainly apply it and must apply it to our positions in relationships with bosses, or with those who work under us. Well, notice there in the first place, as Paul comes to apply the gospel to very specific relationships, he begins with that most important relationship, husbands and wives. It's the most important because it's the first relationship that ever existed. If we go back to Genesis, we see that before there were police, before there were lawyers, before there were doctors, before there were teachers, before there were children, there was Adam and Eve and they were brought together in that marital relationship, and all of society was bound up in that relationship, and that relationship was to reflect the relationship between God and the creature, and now between Christ and the church. And so Paul goes to that that everyday relationship, because, because the things that we read about in verse 12 through 17, really we see that we need most desperately... In that everyday interaction that husbands have with wives and wives have with husbands. Because where do I see that I am least compassionate, least humble, least merciful, least forgiving than in my marriage? My marriage prepares for me and and provides for me the platform to see what's really in my heart. It's oftentimes more painful than we like to admit in the marriage relationship. We often let things slip out that we wouldn't slip out otherwise. We're more careless. And sometimes, sadly, husbands and wives are least forgiving in the marriage relationship, least God-honoring and Christ-honoring. And so Paul says there in verse 18, he begins with a gospel directive For the wives first. Now, ladies, lest you think that Paul is a chauvinist or a misogynist and that he wants to beat up on women, let me tell you, he's going to give the men the more difficult of the two. In Ephesians, he's going to tell the men they have to love their wives as Christ loved the church. That's a lot harder than what he's going to tell wives. And yes, I'm going to use the S word from the pulpit, so brace yourself. I am going to use the S word this morning. Paul does tell wives to submit to their husbands. He says here in verse 18, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. It would have been nice if I could have just not read that, prayed, sent you all home, but we have to deal with this. And it's important that we deal with this, and it's important that we understand what Paul means. Well, Paul says, Wives, submit to your husbands. The idea there is not a servile submission. It is not... Uh, it's not as if you're some medieval wench that just serves your husband hand and foot, and no matter what he does, you are to be oppressed and you are to be in this servile submission. That is not what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about godly reverence and honoring of the husband. Paul is telling that Christian wives who have professed faith in Jesus, who have embraced the gospel, who have said that their lives have been changed, ought to reflect that by expressing that reverent submission that Jesus expressed to his heavenly Father. Let me say, submission does not start... In relationships, in the marriage relationship, it started in the Trinity, in the work of redemption, when Jesus Christ submitted himself to his Father. He was equal with his Father. He was one with his Father. In every way that the Father was God, Jesus was God, and yet Christ submitted himself willingly so that redemption could be borne out. Wives, in the same way, are to submit willingly and humbly and reverently to their husbands who are, in turn, to shepherd them lovingly. Now, I think that there is a propensity. We see this in Genesis. After the fall, there's a propensity for the wife to want to usurp the husband's role. And there is a propensity for the husband to rule with a heavy hand. I think that that's what the Lord says, that her desire would be for him, that is for his role. And he would want to rule her heavy handedly. I think that the fall has so corrupted relationships that everything Paul is saying is not a perversion, but a straightening out of what we see in this world. The church began to listen in the 1970s to feminists, loud voices, many of whom today are embittered that their lives have been wasted, that they have not found fulfillment in children, that they sought fulfillment in having a dominating career over men. And they look back, and you see the grief in many of them. I've watched them on television. You see an emptiness. You see an unfulfilledness in them. And Paul is saying, listen, a godly wife, a godly wife will find her, her role By honoring and submitting to her husband, not telling him what to do, not dominating in the home. That's a result of the fall. But in lovingly following him, in being, as the Bible says, a suitable helpmate, a suitable helpmate. Now, women are not less than men. Let me say that. Women are the image of God. Ladies, you are the image of God in every way that your husband is the image of God. But you do not have the role that your husband has in the marriage relationship. He has the greater responsibility. Adam was called to shepherd Eve. Adam was called to guard Eve. Adam should have kept Eve from eating of the tree. Adam shouldn't have listened to his wife. Adam disobeyed God He fell, he brought in all the sin, all the misery, all the corruption, all the perversion, all of the turmoil in marriage. Every time that you get in a fight as husband and wife, it is because Adam failed to follow out the headship that God had given him in leading his wife, in guiding her, in protecting her, in loving her. Had Adam loved Eve, he would not have let her listen to the serpent. Had Adam loved Eve, he would have protected her and guarded her And marriage would look very different than it actually does. Let me also say this, that I don't think Paul is addressing one or two people. I don't think Paul is saying, oh yes, and one or two ladies, if you happen to struggle with submission, one or two men, if you happen to struggle with not being harsh to your wife. I think Paul knows that this is the sad reality of the world in which we live. There are many Christians, I've known many Christians who, who have seemingly perfect families. That's not the biblical picture. Every church, every letter that Paul writes, every group of Christians he writes to has messed up sin problems. And by denying that, we actually hurt ourselves. By acknowledging it, We actually go to Christ for grace and forgiveness and mercy. And so Paul says, and I think it's because he knows Paul has seen it, there's the marital problem, the breakdown of family that we see today in society is not something new. It happened with Adam in the garden. It's happened every generation throughout human history. Marital breakdown and the family issues that we see in our society are not new things. And so Paul says, listen, here's the way to show the gospel in these relationships. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, Paul's going to set out six relationships in this chapter and there's something striking because each one of those relationships is built around the Lord. If you went through this passage and you underlined how many times the Lord is mentioned at the center of every one of these relationships is Christ. This is a home built upon the Savior. There's a hymn hymn that I want to actually read a line to out of you or out of for you. O give us homes built firm upon the Saviour, where Christ is head and counselor and guide, where every child is taught his love and favor, and gives his heart to Christ the crucified. How sweet to know that though his footsteps waver, his faithful Lord is walking by His side. O give us homes with godly fathers, mothers, who always place their hope and trust in him, whose tender patience, turmoil never bothers, whose calm and courage Trouble cannot dim a home where each finds joy in serving others and love still shines, though days be dark and grim. Paul is calling for homes built upon the Savior. And what he's actually saying is that women who profess faith in Jesus but do not submit to their husbands, that profession is in vain. That to profess submission to Christ... But not to submit to the husband is actually to show that there is not submission to Christ. Because the call, Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands, as unto the Lord. As unto the Lord. That behind the man is the Savior. Behind the head of the household is the head of the home. Who is the head of the body of the church. Who is Christ Jesus. And so that authority, that delegated authority, is an authority that is to reflect our submission to Jesus. Now, ladies, I'm going to stop. You're probably mad at me. So... I should have timed that better now i 'm going to talk to the husbands because Paul now turns on a dime and says, "Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh to them now, just like Paul understands there is a propensity for wives not to submit to their husbands, there is a propensity for husbands not to love their wives, and there's a propensity and a, a propensity for them to be harsh with their wives. Paul understands this dynamic too well that That the leadership and the headship that men are called in the home is not a a leadership of domineering. It's not, I tell you what goes and you will do what I say. That is not the kind of headship. You know, an old preacher I love very much says, if a man has to tell his wife, you will submit to me, he has already failed in his headship. He has already failed in loving his wife as Christ loved the church. The man has to exercise his headship in a domineering way. He has failed to exhibit what Paul is saying. And it's interesting that in our society and with our Hollywood picture of marriage, it, it's, it should seem strange to us that, that Paul is actually commanding men to love. You might say that to some. You can't command love. Love is something that just happens naturally, but Paul does that. Paul commands husbands to love their wives and not to be bitter. And even if the husband fulfills the first part in loving her, and the wife doesn't happen to respond in that reverence and respect and submission that she's called to, the husband doesn't have the right then to get bitter at his wife. He has to be the more patient, the more long-suffering, the more tender, the more caring, the more prayerful, the the more loving to his wife. And so Paul sets out this first relationship between husbands and wives. Let me tell you the wisdom of this. There's a wisdom to this. Proverbs 31, most of you probably know it. You probably think it's about the godly woman. It's actually about the godly family. And it's about the woman who cares for her home and she expends herself and she does everything for the well-being of her home. And it says that her husband sits at the gate of the city. And it says that her children rise up and they praise her for all the things that she does and then at the end of, of Proverbs 31, it says, yes, all her works will praise her at the gates. Well, who's at the gates? Her husband is. Her husband's sitting there. She's, she is serving him helping care for the family, take care of everything so that he can be a leader in society. And she lovingly and in a godly way comes alongside to bolster his ministry and his public ministry as an elder of the city. And he sits at the gate and all her works praise her at the gate. And he loves her and he speaks well and he says to the other men at the gate, you know what, your wife's nothing like my wife. He gets to say that. And the other one's like, no, 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 mine's awesome. And they speak about how wonderful their wives are. And there is a reciprocal wisdom. There is a mutual wisdom going on when this happens. There is not this sort of depression that we're told women will have when they don't exert themselves in a way that God hasn't given them a role. There is not this sort of expectation that everything will work well if I just heavy-hand things in my home, if I'm heavy-handed and I just make things happen in a harsh way. There is a tenderness and a mutual love and honoring of the marriage relationship. Well, secondly, Paul tells us how the gospel is to work itself out among parents and children. Notice that he goes from the the, the highest, the most important relationship now down the line. He's going to say the second most important is how we deal with our children. And then, interestingly, Paul will address you. He will say... Children, obey your parents. Fathers, do not exasperate them, but bring them up in the nurture and training of the Lord. Children, you are called to obey your parents. Children have that one responsibility of honoring and obeying their parents. When their parents tell them to do something, they are to obey. They are not to drag their feet. They are not to complain. They are not to bicker. They are to honor and respect their parents and show that honor and respect by obeying them. Wives, interestingly, are not called to obey their husbands. They're called to submit and honor them. Children are called to obey their parents. And notice what Paul says. Children, obey your parents in everything. Now, Paul clearly doesn't mean when a dad tells a child to sin. He does not mean if a dad tells a child to sin. I would say even in the marriage relationship. If, and I had a woman write me, actually. I'll give you an illustration. A woman wrote me not long ago and said, I know I should be in a good church. My husband doesn't want to go to church with me. Am I allowed to go to church? And I I told her, I said, well, I'll go out on a limb here and, and just tell you that, number one, I don't know if your husband won't let you go to church, but the Bible says that you are to honor Jesus Christ over your husband. If you love husband or wife more than me, Jesus says you're not worthy of me. And if a wife has a husband that tells her you cannot go to a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church, she is to disobey her husband. If I'm the only person that ever tells you that, that's fine. She is to disobey her husband if he calls her to sin, to commit idolatry, to steal, to do anything that is wrong. If a husband wants his wife to do something illegal, she is to disobey him. She is not to submit to him. If a father asks his child... If a mother asks her child to do something sinful, the child is not to do that. But in everything, and that's a very broad description, everywhere else the parents ask their children to obey, whether it be in school, in the home, with chores, in the way they talk to their siblings, in all of those things, children are to obey their parents. And let me say this, the witness to the gospel that would flow if children in the church And children, if children in our homes obeyed their parents, the witness that would flow in a a society that is rapidly moving more and more and more to children rebelling against parents and children's friends saying, you don't need to obey your parents. Look, when I was a boy, The Simpsons came out, and my parents didn't want me to watch The Simpsons for very obvious reasons. It was built upon speaking sinfully to your parents, rebelling against your parents in a day like that, and in a day when that is hastening. And most of your friends at school, children, are saying, no, disobey your parents. That's cool. And you don't need to do what your parents say. That is when we need to obey our parents and show a gospel witness for Jesus. And that's the wisdom. Just like that wisdom with husbands and wives, there's a wisdom. There's a wisdom in children obeying parents. Now, let me say, fathers, verse 21, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. There have been many... Christian children who have grown up in strong, theologically strong homes who could say very easily, my father raised me in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, but mostly in the admonition. I've known many people like that. There are many men that take seriously the call of the father being the head of the home, being the shepherd, being the one that leads in scripture and prayer and discipline And it's almost as if the father takes joy in the admonition and the discipline part of parenting and not in the nurturing and caring and patience. And I think, while you could argue that most men have um, given up their role as fathers in our society, and that's fine, and I, I will agree with that, I think Paul says there's a great danger in the church where we take seriously parenting as fathers. And Paul doesn't lead with what the fathers ought to do. He leads with what they ought not to do. And notice what he says. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. There is a standard that many fathers will hold their children to that they will not hold themselves to. There are many fathers who will hold their children to a standard of obedience and a standard of godliness that they do not hold themselves to. And then, let me tell you, the surest way to avoid this is to focus on your own sinfulness and your own need for Jesus. And the more you do that, the more patient you will be with your children and the more understanding you will be. And when you go to discipline them, the more ready you'll be to bring the gospel in. Almost every time I pray with my sons after they've sinned and I've had to discipline them, I will pray, Lord, forgive our sins. Forgive Micah and Daddy his sins. Forgive Eli his sins and Daddy his sins. Because... That is the surest way that you will not exasperate your children is by knowing your own sin, your own need for the gospel. It's actually the solution to everything. But Paul says there's a grave danger, fathers, of provoking your children lest they become discouraged. Let me say just by way of application to the men here, I think that there is built into this a call to train your children diligently, that we are called to teach our children the scriptures, to pray with them. We are called to model Christian living in the home. We are called when we sin, and let me say this to the younger families here, when we sin and our children see us sin, they need to hear us asking each other and the Lord for repentance and even going to them and say, Daddy sinned, will you forgive Daddy for that example? That was sinful. Do not imitate what your father has done. I think that we have a responsibility, yes, to lead in family worship, but to exhibit to our children a whole life of commitment to Christ because at the end of the day, the only father that the children in this room are going to know other than the Heavenly Father is the father they see day in and day out or they don't see day in and day out in the home. The only father besides the Heavenly Father that they're going to know is you. And so we have a great responsibility in caring and nurturing And being patient and not provoking our children and setting a godly example of Christian devotion to Christ before them. Well, notice thirdly, Paul comes now down to the third and final, as it were, bottom level of gospel application in verse 22. When he says, bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. And then, Paul says, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. I want to point out that while we don't know what it is to have indentured servants in our homes, some of you are business owners, some of you know what it is to have people work for you. All of us have known or do know what it is to work for other people. God cares deeply about how the gospel takes root in those relationships, even the most despised relationships. Oftentimes, we don't we're not going to care for a coworker. We're not going to care for an employee. We're not going to care about our bosses the way we care about our children or our wife. And yet, what Paul says is that when the gospel works, it's going to work in that place. The gospel is going to work at every level in every relationship in every way. And notice what he says. He says that bondservants are to obey their masters not with eye service as people pleasers, but as serving the Lord Christ. I remember when I did construction, I really learned how to work doing construction as a younger man. And it was burdensome, and it was hard, and I really did not like getting up every day and going – To do construction. And I experientially learned how to apply this verse when my boss, throughout the day, constantly would say, Come on, pick up that board, work harder, move faster, do this, do that. And I had to realize that God had called me to submit to Christ, to work as unto Him, to work hard as unto Him, to obey my Master, even if I didn't like the tone in which He spoke to me. And yet, notice, That God ensures even that the gospel works on the top-down level, that masters, he says in chapter 4, verse 1, are to treat their bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that they also have a master in heaven. You see, behind all these authority relationships, behind all these calls for submission and obedience and godly leadership, is a master in heaven, Jesus Christ. And whatever else you take away from this today, whatever else you you think you may have liked or didn't like about what I've said this morning, the one thing you must take away is that you have a master in heaven who is Christ. You have been bought with a price. You are not your own. You have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus. And that means that in every area of life, the gospel must work in knowing that we have a Christ we are to submit to. We have a king who wants our lives to reflect His righteous rule in our homes and in the workplaces and in every area of our life. Now, I want to say one thing as I close. I think these short verses are so much more important than we realize. Number one, because the reality is our homes and our workplaces so often don't look the way we know they should look. And They provide the platform for the gospel to come in and work the way it's supposed to work. Let me say that again. Our homes and our workplaces so often don't look the way they ought to look or work the way they ought to work, and this provides the platform for the gospel to come in and work the way the gospel works. Paul's not saying try harder, try to have the best family, try to... Outparent people because if you do that then you'll have to repent of your self-righteousness in parenting let me say that again you can become self-righteous in parenting you can become self-righteous in any of these things Paul is realizing the reality of the fallenness of the world the brokenness of relationships the way that everything has been marred and corrupted and he is saying if the gospel is going to work it's going to work in these situations and it's going to continue working And that means, husbands and wives, you get in a fight this week. Children, you disobey your parents this week. Masters, you're harsh to those that work for you. You who work for someone, have bitterness in your heart towards them. That's a platform for you to go back to the Lord, to confess sin, to know the pardon that we have in the gospel, to know the power that we have in Christ to be reminded of these things and to see the gospel working out. Let me say this final thing. You all profess faith in Christ. Most all of you profess faith in Christ. Your life will reflect whether your profession is true or not when the Gospel is working out in these everyday interactions. That's, that's a bigger witness than anything you can say, I'm trusting Jesus. I, I talk about theology. Remember, Husbands, don't provoke your children. You can talk about theology all day long, but if you're a provoking father, you are not showing that you understand and believe the gospel. And so our profession must be adorned by living out the gospel, by living out the implications of the gospel in these relationships to God's glory. And people will know that we serve the Lord Christ. They will look and they will say, that family's not perfect, but that family serves the Lord Christ. And let me raise one final warning. If you read about the godly families in Genesis, if you read about the patriarchs who are set out as an example of godly parents, they look more like something off showtime than focus on the family. Seriously, this is why we need grace. This is why we need the gospel. Do not have this expectation of perfection as if you're going to attain to that. The gospel will work its way out through all of the difficulties and hardships and our failings, but we go back to Christ, we go back to the Scriptures, we go back to see the Gospel worked out in these relationships. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church this morning. Let's pray. Father, we do want to grow as husbands and fathers, as wives, as workers, as, as bosses. We want to grow our God and we want, we want our lives to reflect that Christ is our Master Lord Jesus, we pray for grace. We pray that You would fill us with grace. We pray that we would be united to You by faith and that our lives would reflect a a strong desire to see the Gospel straightening out our relationships and bringing glory and honor to You. We pray that this week ahead, we would even see growth in our marriages, that husbands would love their wives tenderly, that there would not be bitterness, that wives would be respectful and honoring and loving toward their husbands that children would be obedient that parents would be patient and tender in instructing their children father we pray that you would send your spirit into our hearts and our homes we pray that truly our homes would be built firm upon the savior we pray these things in his name amen